Bibles out, turn to Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 21 in just a moment. If um, I seem like I'm a little out of it or tired, you're right. I was telling the folks through the weekend, especially when we got down to those last moments on on Saturday late afternoon in the evening, you know, there's a reason the Bible calls it the work of the ministry. You know, you uh, you pray for people and are used by God, you know, through an extended period of time and it'll wear you out. Chasing the devil will wear you out. But it's the best wear out I can think of. So um, maybe in my natural body, there's not the usual energy, but I believe that the anointing is here and that uh, God wants to uh, set us free and help us and input some things to our life in order for us to go forward in strength and victory. We mentioned to you that we were going to start our new series on prayer and I've entitled that series Becoming the House of Prayer, Becoming the House of Prayer. And we actually have five Sundays in the month of March in order to begin to just expound on this particular area. And uh, I don't know that I've spent that much time on the subject of prayer. That is probably sin in the eyes of the Lord, and we can redeem that right now in the month of March. But we started the year 2009, as you'll recall, in a 21-day fast. We read to you Matthew chapter 6, where it says from Jesus' mouth himself, when you give, when you fast, and when you pray. It's not if you give, if you fast, or if you pray. It is an expectation that those who would call themselves disciples of Jesus would enter into these spiritual disciplines. And the scripture says that if you were to do these things, and yes, as you would do them even in secret, that your God would reward you openly. And so I believe as we participated in the fast together in January, that God is beginning to reward us openly. And as we began to walk by faith and learned what it meant to get faith in our finances in February, I believe God is going to reward us openly. And now in the month of March, the end of the first quarter of 2009, when we begin to pray and when we begin to seek God, I believe He's going to start rewarding us openly, don't you? Come on, sure. Sure, He wants to. And so uh, we're just going to do some things this month, hopefully, that you'll like to participate in. I believe I put it on the screen overhead that there are a couple of things that we'll be planning. And uh, I hope you'll uh, seriously consider it, put it on your calendar. You'll participate in all of these things. The first thing is that um, I put a sign-up sheet at the information desk for what I've called every waking hour prayer. There's a sign-up that you can... You can write your name down on, and I'm just believing that at, at Legacy, we can have enough people that in the month of March, you're just committing to 30 days, in the month of March, that every waking hour, I, I have lines from 6 a.m., I know some of you get up earlier than 6 a.m., I don't know if God's up yet, but God is, I know is up by 6 a.m., to 11 p.m., and yes, I know some of you stay up later than 11 p.m., but every waking hour that 
that someone in our body during that hour would take the time to pray and to seek God. We'll talk more about that. You don't have to pray an hour. I'm not saying pray an hour. If I were to say pray an hour, I'd lose three quarters of the folk. I know. So I'm not saying pray an hour, but that you would take some time during that hour and that you would begin to seek God and that for the month of March, this body, I believe we can do this as a body, that for the month of March, this body could could rest in the knowledge that every waking hour of the day in the month of March, somebody is interceding in our church. I would want you to be a part of that. So you can stop by. Uh, if there's a line, if, if there's a line that develops for the sign up, get in line. Folks, we'll get in line for a silly sale the day after Thanksgiving. People will pitch a tent to get in there early to get 10 bucks off something. They will pitch a tent at Ticketmaster because some rock stars come into town and they want to get front row seats. And, and here in the house of God, we should not be ashamed if we stand in a little line in order to sign up and say, I'm going to be a part of that because I, I, I want to know that somebody's praying for me and this body and the needs every waking hour for the month of March. So I want to encourage you to do that. Secondly, I've been really encouraged by this as well. I know Trace has been as, as well, but to, in the month of March, for the next four Sundays, this is Sunday, it's just about over, but for the next four Sundays, you'd set your alarm maybe just a little bit earlier and you'd come on Sunday at 9.30 and pray with us. Again, I don't anticipate everyone will choose to do that, but, but I'm just throwing some challenges out there for you. I'm not asking for a year commitment, I'm not asking for the rest of your life, but just for the next four Sundays in the month of March as we emphasize prayer, that you could set your alarm clock maybe a little bit earlier. Now that's going to be a real challenge next week, isn't it? Because it's not like it's 9.30, really. It's, it's going to be like it's 8.30. So, so you know, just, just stretch your spiritual muscles a little bit. And it'd be cool if we saw just an increased number of folks in the month of March. Come join some of the leadership and come join the worship team as we, we pray and we just kind of pave the way for the Holy Spirit to work in services. So consider that challenge as well. And then you can count on the fact that sometime in March we're going to have an all-church prayer meeting again. The one we had this last Thursday, I'm just telling you, man, I wouldn't do this to you unless it was true. You missed it. <laughs> I mean, it was wild. So anyway, God shows up at these things. Write them on your calendar. We want you to participate. We understand it doesn't always work out for everybody. But at the same time, we like to challenge folks. And hopefully you'll, you'll pick up the challenge. Also, at the information desk, I created a prayer guide. Some of these things are useful and people like them. Others don't need them. But uh, we'll mention more through the month of March. These prayer guides, if we run out of them, I'll create more. And uh, it can help you in your personal prayer time. And uh, we feel like legacy is about resourcing and discipling people. So uh, I wanted to create one of those. And you may find that good for you as uh, you begin to enter in to some of the things we're teaching about this month. All right, have you got your Bibles open to Matthew 21? We're going to talk this morning on what I've entitled The Vision to Pray. The Vision to Pray. 
Matthew 21, beginning with verse 12, we read, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Literally, in the original language, that word indignant, you know, indignant is sort sort of the hoity-toity, you know, that's how I feel. It's kind of like, but literally it means they were angry. They were mad. And said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. The vision to pray. Now, we're a little over a month to Easter. So this passage, I think, comes at an opportune time because we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem in what we call the triumphal entry. And uh, he is about ready to enter into what we call the Passion Week. And it's a good description of events, this Passion Week, of all that took place, this whole week of what took place. And uh, passion is a good word to use because passions are flying everywhere. In fact, Jesus is riding into town, as you'll recall, on a brand new donkey. And the crowd is cheering wildly. So there's passion. They're cheering wildly. And all the religious leaders are watching this and they're irritated. So there's passion. They're angry. But then Jesus sees something going on in the temple and suddenly he gets what we would call angry as well. And if there is ever a question, let me just share this with you. If there was ever a question, did Jesus ever get mad? (laughs) The answer is yes. You can be righteous and angry. Now, most of us get unrighteously angry, and then we call it righteous anger. But this was righteous anger. And, and, and John tells us, if I were to read his account, that Jesus literally sees what's going on. He goes and he takes the time to make a whip. And he goes into the temple and he drives these people that we read about out of the temple. And the point of this event was rather simple. The point is that the house of the Lord had deteriorated, for lack of a better term. It had deteriorated into something that it was never designed to be. It had lost something significant. And Jesus said, it is no longer going to be this way. And he began to call it back to its original intent. And he says that you've made this place a den of thieves. But I'm calling it back to be the house of prayer. Now, I want to just share with you what was going on in those days because I think it'll make a good application to perhaps some things today. There were a couple ways that the temple, the house of the Lord, had deteriorated in Jesus' day. The first one is what I would call usury violations. Usury violations. There were people in there that were called money changers. Money changers were people who would exchange currency with those who were coming in out of town or from other nations They would exchange the currency in order that those people who were coming to the house of the Lord 
could get their money in the appropriate Hebrew currency that the Lord required when they came to bring an offering to the temple of the Lord. They, they were to give a Hebrew half shekel when they came and that was their offering. That's what God required. It was in his word. There was nothing wrong with that. But what was going on was that as people were transacting this currency, they would exchange the currency at a premium rate. In other words, they were using people as they would come in to exchange out their currency. They would, they would put astronomical um, interest rates or percentages on the exchange rate in order for them to have the right money in order to go in and uh, be able to give an offering as unto the Lord. And they were unrighteously profiting from this because God had already said in his word, he said that it was unlawful for a brother to uh, put unrighteous usury on another brother. Usury, especially in this regard, was forbidden in the scripture. Now, it's interesting to me that we don't talk much about this and these things in our modern Christian church culture anymore. But we've got to be careful, and I'm talking to Christian businessmen. In fact, I'm even aware of, of pastors who have businesses on the side. And, and one I'm aware of has a business, and you've seen it out here, it's one of these uh, uh, check-cashing businesses, or payroll advance businesses, or auto-title loan businesses. And, and, and again, I, I don't want to just jump in people's business, but I, I got to tell you, there are some things that go on with regards to usury and interest rates. And if you don't understand what you're getting into, if you use those places and you don't understand what you're getting into, then come see me and I'll explain it to you. Because I'm, I'm telling you, there is, there is an unrighteousness that can begin to exist in how we treat our fellow man in this regard. We can begin to exploit people who are in difficult places. These folks are coming from other nations and other places. They, they, they can't just automatically get Hebrew money. So they're exploiting their brothers and their sisters. Usury violations. Secondly, there was the commercialization of the sacrificial system. There were also not only money changers here, but it says that there were those who sold doves. People would oftentimes bring their own animal to the temple for sacrifice. So, so folks are bringing their animals to sacrifice. And there was an inspector in the temple that would begin to look at the animals that were coming in. And this inspector would decide which animals were appropriate to be sacrificed or not. Now you can imagine if something got corrupted, that more often than not, the animals that were brought in from the outside to sacrifice weren't going to measure up. In other words, you can't use your animal to sacrifice. You're going to have to use one of our doves. These are pre-approved animals. You've been pre-approved with these animals. And so they would have to leave their animal. I've even heard stories, and I don't know whether it be true or not, but they take a trade in along with a little extra money, and you could get the right animal. Now, you understand how this is happening. People walked in those days. They just couldn't jump in their car and go back and forth. They weren't going to go back miles and miles and miles to go get a different animal and bring it to the temple and get it re-inspected, thinking that they're going to have any better chance of this one being passed. And so, obviously, they would, they would uh, trade it in or they would get the animal. They would pay the money. 
And you know what was going on. They just let that animal graze off to the side. And then later on, they'd sell that animal to someone else. The very one that they disqualified, they'd requalify in order to make a profit. And so Jesus is seeing all these things going on. And he looks at what was to be the house of prayer. And it had become the house of spiritual poverty. They could turn a profit but they couldn't turn a person to the Lord. They could deliver a product, but they couldn't deliver a person from the devil. They could open up accounts for interest and exchange, but they couldn't open up a blind eye. Their accounts were full, but their spirit was empty. They could raise some money, but they couldn't raise the dead. So Jesus looks at it all and he says, this is not what my house is all about. In fact, He just got plain mad at the situation. Now, whether or not he was mad at the people, we could only guess. But I know he was mad that they had lost their vision as to what the house of the Lord was really all about. Now, for those of you that grew up in certain circles in Christianity, you'll identify with this instantly. Those of you that didn't grow up in it, you might not get it or understand it. So just bear with me. But we grew up, Trace and myself did, in what we called the old holiness circles the holiness church we were holiness people and everything we knew about holiness had nothing to do with your heart it had everything to do with what you wore and how you wore it and all the rest i mean how you cut your hair didn't cut your hair or whether your earrings were pierced you know and your ears or what i mean it was was silly silly stuff and so we grew up in these circles and 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 they, most of the churches, now not all of them, but most of them, because they read this and they were all ready to do something, you know, that that was legalistic in their approach, they were highly sensitive about selling on Sunday. Boy, you just didn't, you didn't, if you had a guest speaker in, there's no way you could sell your products on Sunday. If you had a guest artist in, there was no way you could sell tapes or CDs or books or anything like that. Couldn't sell on Sunday. Now, it always amazed me how scrupulous we were on not selling in the foyer. But boy, we sure enough let gossip go on in the foyer. I thought that was always interesting to me. We'd slander and libel right there in the sanctuary in the foyer. But boy, we won't sell a tape. Well, can I just say that, that God isn't talking here about selling CDs. He's not talking about selling books or products. That's not the issue. The issue is not, you know, can I get some resource? That's not the issue. The issue is, where's your heart? Why are we here? What's the true vision of what he wants us to have and what he's calling us to do? And and I just want to suggest to you that as we begin to apply this, that there are some areas that are far more significant than whether or not we throw a table out there and we sell somebody's sixth set of CDs. Let's talk about that for just a minute. How have we allowed our temple to deteriorate? Just a couple things I, I want to share with you. In fact, I think there's two levels. Can you listen at two levels this morning? The two levels are this. Number one is we need to listen at a corporate level. The church today, I believe, can be considered the house of the Lord. As a congregation, we have a needful place to evaluate ourselves, to evaluate ourselves as the people of God and as a church. Now hear me, I don't know what other churches do. I know what some do. I have no clue as to what everyone does. Everybody's got to be obedient to God as they hear from Him. So I don't know what 
some churches do at large. All I know is we need to be sure we're doing what we know to do. And so we got to keep our house right before you start trying to straighten out everyone else's house. So corporately, we got to listen for ourselves as a people. Then secondly, you got to listen personally. The Bible says that you and I personally are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit dwells in a temple, but it's not made with human hands. So you and I personally are the house of the Lord. And the truth is, while we can talk about what we need to do corporately and as a people, and while I can do things as a pastor to organize or to challenge or to exhort you to certain disciplines and practices, truth of the matter is, personally, you've got to begin to embrace some things too as you walk before the Lord. So let's talk about these five. I want to talk about five quick areas and then I'm going to jump to something else. I'm going to go through this rather quick. How how have we deteriorated? What are five areas that there's been some deterioration in our modern day era? Number one is I believe there's been a cheapening of the gospel. A cheapening of the gospel. I, I think the church era we live in, there are some things that have deteriorated. And let me just share this with you. Whatever happened to repentance? Whatever happened to repentance? I mean, whatever happened to the concepts of sacrifice and altar calls and weeping and conviction and disciplines and standards? We won't even get to the all night prayer meetings and the the other things that I mean, whatever happened to these things now nowadays, nowadays, it's all so different. I remember when I was first saved. I mean, I mean, the first thing they taught me was was. You need to get in prayer meeting. You need to, you need to get in the all night prayer meeting. They taught me about repentance and they taught me about godliness and holiness. And I'll grant you some of it was crazy, but I've often said to Tracy, you know, there's something about that holiness bunch that drilled into me that God wasn't to be messed with. <laughs> of course, in the day and age we live in now, we've got express lane everything. You got express lane services, literally called express lane services. You can come in and under an hour, you can come in, worship God, get a little instruction and be on your way. Express lane. We get fidgety if we have to stand too long or stay too long. We give invitations nowadays and no longer do we give invitations that look at people and say, hey, come, Jesus bids you to come repent and and, and be converted. But nowadays it's just, do you need a little help? Do you want more of God? Say these three sentences, sign the card, shake the hand, and you're born again. Choose whatever you want. We're kind of like Burger King. Have it your way. Come on now, we've cheapened the gospel. We have cheapened grace. We have cheapened it to the point that it does little in our lives. I mean, the grace of God is 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 a empowering changing life altering world rocking thing and and nowadays it's just like yeah i got i'm under grace and and we just live and we do and we act and we speak like the world and it's because we have cheapened the gospel we have turned it into this easy beliefism when we have forgotten the words of jesus when he said drop your nets and follow me We've forgotten these things. And I believe we've deteriorated and, and, and there's got to be voices. And praise God, I'm not the only crazy voice in the earth. 
There are others that are just as crazed as I am. That we've got to begin to call and beckon people back. Because I'm convinced of this. That you'll only get what you preach. You're not going to get anything deeper, stronger, more faithful, more disciplined by preaching the easy pablum. You got to call people to a challenge. Come on, you got to call them to a vision. You got to call them to come on out, man. Step on up. We'll love you. We'll walk with you. We'll journey with you. We don't expect you to be all that tomorrow. We're just saying, come on, take the journey. So the cheapening, I think there's been a cheapening of the gospel. Number two, there's been carelessness. You might even call it familiarity. You know, I just think at large, we just are no longer. Now, I'm not talking about us because you listen, you all come and listen to me. And I hammer you and you keep coming back. It's hard to believe sometimes. Everybody keeps coming back. I love you for it, though. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. We love you so much. But at large... I'm just talking the body at large. There's a carelessness. We're no longer a people that cultivate awe or wonder or respect for God's house or the things that are in God's house. I mean, we worship. I mean, I'm not joking. I was watching a TV show the other day. And, and I'm, you know, I got a coffee pot out there and I'm glad you can come get coffee and have a snack and eat. But I'm watching people with a cappuccino and a biscuit worshiping God. I don't know. That just doesn't seem right to me I, I i mean i mean there's no awe anymore there's no wonder anymore there's nothing in us anymore i mean i mean he's the big guy upstairs he's my buddy he's my dude you know he's this he's that i mean come on when are we going to get back to he's god he's the god that that i mean your 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 dude may not be able to help you out of your problem but my god can supply all your needs according to his riches see so so I, I, I know he's my friend and he sticketh closer than a brother. I understand that he sympathizes and empathizes with me and all my needs. And that makes him a high priest who can identify with me. I get it. But I want a God who can come in and absolutely powerfully overcome all my circumstances and issues. And our carelessness and familiarity, I believe, has cut us off from some of the blessings of God. The third one I'll put in here is fear. How have we deteriorated? I believe fear has entered in. We fear things. We, we, we fear the economy. We fear what people think of us. We fear what they might say about us if we get, you know, too, too fanatical. We fear to, to stand up and say, Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. He is the door. There's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. That's not my perspective. Those are his words. Elijah mocked the false prophets on Mount Carmel. If you ever read the story there in 1 Kings, when he called fire down from heaven at Mount Carmel and consumed the water that had been poured over the false altar, right before that you'll begin to see that Elijah begins to mock the false prophets when he challenges them with the statement, you worship your God and I'll worship my God and we'll see which God shows up by fire. And as they're doing their thing, they're dancing and yelling and screaming and for six hours or so they're doing all these things. Elijah begins to mock them. And I'll never forget that I read that passage one time in the old living Bible. Some of you may remember years ago, Kenneth Taylor did a paraphrase of the living Bible. 
And I was reading through that, and I got to that particular passage, and he's taunting them as they're doing all this and nothing is happening. He says, he says, where is your God? Maybe he's busy. And, and, and I am not lying. As I stand here before God as my witness, it said that, and this is what it says in the Living Bible. Elijah looked at him and said, maybe, maybe he's sitting on the toilet. I looked at that, I said, you got to be kidding me. I would say that's mocking. But nowadays, we don't want to do that. We don't want to challenge the Muslim. We don't want to challenge the Hindu. We don't want to challenge the Buddhist. Folks, these people do not worship the same God as we do. I respect my neighbor, and I'll live in America, and I understand the Constitution. But I understand a greater constitution that tells me Jesus is the only way. And we fear these things. We fear it. George Whitfield, the great preacher of the awakening, was actually lampooned on English stages. They would make fun of him. Wesley was forcibly removed from Georgia by the governor for failing to serve his daughter, who was of questionable moral character. You cannot be a pastor in the underground church of China unless you have been in prison. Come on now, we got to break fear. Everybody's bold these days about what they believe and what they think, and they're just bold as can be. We need to start being bold again. It's deteriorated. Fourth thing I think we've deteriorated on is the stealing of God's glory. Isn't it amazing how we like to get the credit? We like to know when someone gets healed or helped, but then we'll always say either one of two things. Who did it or I did it? No. God did it. God did it. You just were available that moment. People have often said, well, well you'll say, well, I was healed, I got healing, and instantly we'll, we'll go, well, what ministry, what church, what preacher, what person? Come on now, we got to quit stealing the glory. It was God. Jesus wants to drive out our incessant need for flattery and for credit. It has stolen the glory, I'm afraid. We no longer know things by the presence of God. We know things by the label on the can. And we're going to have to get better at that. And then lastly, and it's what I wanted to talk about this morning, is we've deteriorated because we've lacked the vision to pray. We live in an age that talks a lot about vision. I've got books on vision on my shelf. I've got all kinds of visioning type books. Vision to grow. Vision to build. Vision to win the lost. Vision to disciple. Vision to raise up leaders. All sorts of books on vision. Vision. They're good books. They're biblical books. I'm not saying there's anything unbiblical about all of that. But it's interesting how we want to get a vision for all of these things, but the church at large does not have a vision, at least in America, to pray. We got to get a vision to pray. There are over, and I counted it quickly, 540 clear references to praying in the Bible. Now that sounds sort of significant to me. A few places I know have the vision to pray, but not a lot, not a lot, because in America we know how to market, 
We know how to network. We know because of the information age how to exchange information and do a program or produce a plan, give the people some sort of structure, begin to give them an atmosphere to begin to put things in the foyer that they can connect with, get this technology available. And, and we in America, we kind of know how to do the, you know, corporate IBM organizational thing that gets people, you know, kind of involved and, and we reach out. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. As a matter of fact, I think those things probably have a place. But our problem is we don't have a vision to pray. Because you see, prayer is the engine that makes spiritual things happen. Contrary to what you might believe, it is not the lights, it is not the screen, it is, it is not just the program, it's not the coffee machine, it is not all of these things. Again, they have their place, but that's not, that's not the engine, that's not the catalyst of what makes spiritual things happen. And so I'm just going to give you three quick things. As to why we should get a vision to pray. Just three quick things. I want you to write these down. It's where we're going to get started. Why we should get a vision to pray. Number one. It's because God has linked his presence. To his people's praying. He has decided that he's going to link himself. To whether or not his people pray. If my people he says. He didn't say if the world did it. Or if just the intercessor group did it. Or if just the leadership did it. Or if just the pastor did it. He said, if my people, if my people would humble themselves and pray, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then he says, will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. God will not come to a prayerless people. He has linked himself. He has chosen to link himself. I understand God's sovereign. He can do anything he wants. But he's chosen to link himself to our intercession and to our praying even an atheist in a foxhole knows that if he wants God to help him get out of that ambush or raid, he better start praying. Praying. I have found through the years that praying is something people either love or they loathe. There's really no in-between, not much. People usually find it a joy or they find it to be a duty. And the truth is, if life would go well, listen to me carefully, the truth is, for most Christians, if life would go well without praying, we wouldn't even consider it. Most of the time we pray because life isn't going all that well. In fact, if we knew that life could go pretty well most of the time, we would just avoid it and we would never enter into it. That is why I believe that oftentimes God lifts his covering hand and he allows challenging, difficult situations to come into our life it is because it is the only way we will drop to our knees and begin to beckon him once again to come and be a part of our life and what is going on he wants a relationship with us you understand that right he gave the very best in his son on a cross in order to have a relationship with us he initiated the whole deal it was his idea. It was in his heart. It was out of his love. It was something he desperately wanted. He could have blown the place up and started all over again with a brand new Adam and a brand new Eve. But he chose not to do that because it was in his heart. He loved people. He loved us. 
He did everything possible to have a relationship. And even now, we just don't want much of a relationship. So what does he do? He says, well, then I guess I'll just let circumstances push them to me. Because I really want to be around them. I really want to love them. I really want them to know that I'm near. And I'd really like for them to have this relationship without having them to suffer. And without having them to experience all the things that could happen without me. He has linked his presence to our praying. Secondly, the reason we need a vision to pray is it's because it's the only way people's eyes and hearts will be opened. I was reading as I was preparing for this morning an old book by Leonard Ravenhill. He has since passed away, an old English evangelist. And in one of the stories he was telling, he preached actually street revivals in the the streets of London during World War II. And he said that it was during World War II when Nazi Germany was bombing London that he was convinced, and he said that he even preached it to the people, he was convinced that the bombing of England was a part of God's great master plan to somehow turn the people's hearts to himself because there was no other way, he said, London and England would experience revival or the presence of God. But he said, I preached that and for a season I believed that until I watched finally the bombed out churches and the bombed out houses and the bombs in the streets and people would literally run to the churches. They would run to the churches, but he said they would sit in the pews and they would drink in the pews in the house of God and they would bring their dice and their cards, he says, and they would gamble in the very house of the Lord. And he said, even as the air raid sirens were going off, he said, people's hearts were so hardened and their eyes were so blinded. He said that even as they sat in the very house of God, they did not get it. Their arrogance and their defiance, even in the shadow of death, he said, brought him to the place where he realized that it will not be a war, it will not be calamity, it will not be economic strife. The only thing that will open the eyes of America, folks, is when we pray. I believe that people would ride the ship called America economically, into the ground before they would ever begin to think about opening up their eyes. I have yet to hear one commentator, I have yet to hear Ben Vernacki go in front of the television said, I have yet to hear President Obama. I haven't heard one person from the commerce of the treasury come forth and say, you know what? We need to get back to God. I haven't heard that yet. I hadn't heard it yet. And so if we think that America is going to be turned by earthquakes, it's not going to be turned by earthquakes. Do you think California is going to be turned by massive forest fires? I don't think so. Hurricanes. It's not going to be changed by that. Let me tell you something. Let's make it practical. Your friend, your family member, your coworker, they aren't going to turn just because they experience the loss of a job. This is what we do. We say to ourselves, wow, they're experiencing this pain. That's got to be the pain that's finally going to turn them to the things of God. And it never turns them. In fact, in some cases, all it does is make them more hard-hearted. Hear it from a pastor. I have buried people for 30 years. I have, I have officiated funeral services for some of your loved ones in this room this morning even. And, and they have died under such peculiar, extraordinary circumstances that you would think that any rational person 
coming to a funeral service like that and listening and knowing and at some level being touched by what took place, you would think that after all of this, it would turn their eyes and their hearts back to God. And truth of the matter is, for 24 hours, they're a little sensitive, but about that 25th hour, it is life back to normal. It isn't going to change anybody. Prayer is the only thing. It's the only thing. The Bible tells us that when the rapture takes place and the calamity of the rapture takes place, there ain't going to be some great revival. That should be of no surprise. Prayer. Prayer. If we don't pray, prayer is the only thing that will open up our eyes. Prayer is the only thing that can open up hearts. It is the only thing. And that's why Jesus said, he said, we got to get a vision to pray. And then I put down here, lastly, our carnal flesh, number three. Why we should get a vision to pray? Our carnal flesh and our human strength are weak. I'll just say it. I'll say what some of you think a lot and I'll say it out loud. I'm just tired. This morning I'm real tired. I got up this morning out of bed and I just said under my breath, if I wasn't pastor, I'd skip today. Because I was worn out. I just was worn out. But praise God, let me just say, through the years you develop discipline, and that may be what you think for a moment. You say, no, no. They're gonna they're gonna want to hear from me, so. You know I love you. I, I, I mean I really I, you don't you don't know how much I love and I care for all of you that are here today. So, so what I'm about to say, I just want you to keep in context when I say tired. You know, there comes a moment, and you can identify with this at some level, I would think, but don't you get tired of people not getting it? Don't, don't you get tired of trying to disciple people who say they want it? And, and then they don't put much more than a week into it. And they're gone. I don't know about you. I, I, I'm tired of, you know, a runny nose. will keep people out of church for a month. I'm just, I'm tired of the silly American church. If, if you don't do the right song and dance and keep them happy and entertain them and do your best to keep them in the seats and give them what they want and don't say anything that could rub them the wrong way. I don't even know how you preach under that. Everything I read in there rubs me the wrong way, I guess. If you just read the happy verses, you didn't read the verse before it. See, the human, the human flesh, the, 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 the strength we can generate out of the carnal man, I mean, it's, it's limited, it's weak. We, we give up, we, we, we give up, we, we get tired, we, we say to ourselves, how in the world is this going to work? You want to throw the towel in, you just, you're, just, you're just done with it. All we can do, listen to me, that can change that is pray. Because my efforts are weak. My flesh is weak. 
Prayer is the only thing that can begin to supernaturally change and turn a situation. And you and I have got to get a vision for that. We have got to get a vision for something more than consumerism. We have got to get a vision for that which we have been called to do to change our city and a region. We've got to get that vision. And we aren't going to be able to do it because we've got a lot of money because we don't. We aren't going to be able to do it because we got the best show in town. We don't. We aren't going to do it because we're snazzy and smooth. Watch me. I'm not. The only way... The only way, hear me now, I'll say it, the only way we will begin to spiritually affect our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, our city, our region, our state, and our nation is if we pray. Pray. I'll end with this. We're going to spend all month on this. Isn't this great? You come on back next week. There are people going, I ain't coming next week, man. Ain't no way I'm coming with it. Come on back. Come on. Come on. Come on. Don't, don't be, don't be wimpy Christian. Come on. You know, you know what, you know what the sad part is? There's so many people that live in wimpy Christianity. They got, they got one foot over here in the world still, and they got their other foot kind of in the things of God, and they're just miserable all around. You're almost better just to get back in the world. Just get happy. See, I can't believe you just said that. Or get on the other side and get happy. But if you're going to stand like this, you'll never be happy. I don't know if I can find that in the Bible, but that sure enough sounds good, doesn't it? Go out of here going, Pastor said I could just go back in the world. I heard him preach it. He just said I could go run back in the world. Aren't you smart? Come on. Just come on. I was reading Tozier the other day. Nobody reads Tozier anymore either. He messed you up. But he said something that struck a new chord in me. I, I know this. You'll know it too as soon as I say it. But there was like revelation that came with it. This is what he said. I'm quoting from him. He said, we are not only going to be judged... For what we have done, we are going to be judged for what we could have done. Wow. What we could have done. The sacrifice we could have made. The prayers that we could have offered. The tears for the loss that we could have shed. The opportunities to share that could have been taken. Folks, th this really is good news. Do you know that there are resources in God that we could have touched? There is spiritual wealth in the kingdom that we could have accessed. There is power that right now has been left untapped because we chose not to intercede to the place where that door was open to us. You and I together as, as a people can literally change our world. But only if we get a vision to pray. 
say, were you trying to drive me to my knees? Yes, I am. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to somehow communicate a new burden. You say, well, I pray. I, I believe you do. I believe all of you have prayed and you are praying. I, I don't doubt that. I really, I don't doubt that at all. I'm just saying there's something in me that says, you know, probably if we could have seen the regional revival or the regional outpouring that we had so hoped for take place with the amount of prayer that we've been praying, then it would have happened. But, but, but some of that hasn't happened. So I just believe God's beckoning me to pray some more. How much? I don't know. More. When does it end? I don't know. I got to get started first. Don't worry about where it ends. Just get started. Don't worry about, don't worry about the finish line. It'll be fine. Just, just get started somewhere. Just sign up like on that sheet. I'm not asking you to pray an hour. Can you pray five minutes at 10 o'clock at night? Because maybe if you've never prayed, that would be a big step, but it'd be a great step. I'm not, I'm not asking you to be a spiritual giant by next week. I'm just, I'm asking you to take the next step and get a vision to pray. Will you stand with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you right where you're standing right now, just take a minute and begin to ask the Lord right now. If this resonated with you at some level, and you feel like the Holy Spirit's talking to you at some level, would you just ask Him right where you're standing right now, would you begin to say, Lord, I need that vision too. See, I'm a pastor, and I'm telling you, I pray. A part of my business is praying. But I'm telling you, God can even come to a pastor and say, you know what? You've got to get the vision. You've got to get the burden. It's not just something you do. You've got to get a vision for it. You've got to get expectation in it. You've got to begin to see that when you pray, things are changing. People are responding. Eyes are opening. Hearts are softening. Get a vision. Come on now. Some of you are under such incredible stress right at this very moment. Your circumstances are stressful. And, and, and there's great empathy in the heart of Jesus for you. Don't mistake this. He cares about you. But all of that is coming your direction, perhaps for the express purpose that you pray and that you'd seek Him and that He could have a relationship with you. You know, there's nothing, nothing probably that, that grieves a parent more than a child who is always wanting something from the parent but doesn't want a relationship with the parent. Some of you probably have had children that they'll call you up for money, they'll call you up for something, they're always wanting something, but they don't want to just hang around you and visit with you, talk to you, have a relationship with you. They're busy doing what children do, doing what teenagers do. I I mean, it's just kind of the nature of the thing. It's not necessarily evil. It's just kind of how it works. But as a parent, after a while... You get tired of being their personal ATM machine and you get tired of being their personal cab driver. It's not that you mind it and you aren't going to do that because that's what a good parent does, but you sure enough would like a relationship with them. Do you understand that's where God is today? He'll bless you and help you. He wants to meet every need in your life. But you know, He's kind of reached the point, I believe, that He's just saying more than all of those things which are so meaningful to us, the most meaningful thing to Him 
is that we just would say, I want a relationship with you. I just want to hang around you, Lord. I, I, I want my heart to be filled with your heart. I want to see like you see. I, I, what's important to you and your purposes, oh Lord, let it be important to me. Lord, if you're wanting to reach the world, then what can I do to help you achieve your goals? Holy Spirit, I ask you now, as your people are just expressing themselves, even silently, just under their breath and whispers at this very moment. Lord, I know you're hearing right now out of this congregation the whisper. Lord, give me a vision to pray. Give me the vision to intercede. Come on, tell them you're not very good at it. I don't know that I'm all that great at it. Some people are called to pray. I, I recognize that and they're great at it. But just because some are called to pray doesn't somehow exempt me from praying. So maybe you're not good at it. Well, join the club. Join with me. I'll be the president of that club too. I'm not very good at this, but I'll, I'm going to step in a little further. I know, Lord, you're hearing the whispers. Give me a vision to pray. Give me the burden to pray. Lord, put something in me that causes it no longer to be duty, an obligation, something, something that one more thing I have to do. Lord, let it be a delight. Let it be joyful. Let it be, let it, let, let it be life-filled. Because I'm, I'm interacting with the God of the universe. Lord, I, I confess. Just say, I, Lord, I confess I don't know much about it right now, but I'm going to learn more about it. And I promise you, I promise you right now at the beginning of March, this isn't just another short-term commitment, Lord. I, I, I'm really going to implement prayer. In my life. You said if I would even do it in secret. You would reward me openly. Stay in this atmosphere. See you sense the presence of God right now. Do you understand how he's drawn to that? See we're so used to bringing excitement to the house of God. And again nothing wrong with the excitement. That causes an exhilaration. And we say oh God was there. And he was. But you see, right now, I can sense the presence of God coming right now. Gary, tech guys, would you go ahead and flash those words on the screen and would you go ahead and spin that disc for just a minute? Push it up.
and say, that's what I want. I want to get my life back on track right now. Right now, I'm going to get my life back on track right now. Right now. People are coming right now. I'm going to get, I'm going to get back on track right now before I go. I know I've separated myself. I know that carpet isn't great, but, but, you know, we probably do need to get on our knees. It's a humbling way to do that. I know that's probably not an easy way, but you know what? It's a good way. It's a good way. It's a good way. Come on, we're not going to, we're just not going to stand one more time with a stiff back in the presence of God, but we're going to come and just, just kneel before Him. How about you? How about you? I just want my life back on target. If we're going to spend the month of March praying, I want my life back on target. Come on, as long as they keep slipping out and as long as they keep coming, God bless you. Just come on. Come on. Come on. I'll wait for you. I'd, I'd wait all afternoon if I knew you'd come. I'd, I'd wait forever if I knew that it would make a difference. But you can make, right now in the next 30 seconds, you can make the decision that you need to make. See, they just keep coming. That's the Holy Spirit. Just come on. Come on, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. I wish you could see, kind of like I see, you can see the Spirit of God just kind of moving. You can see Him moving. How about it? How about it? This is, I, we don't usually do it this way, but this is how I'm going to do it this morning. I'm just going to ask the people of God. Now, I'm, I'm asking you as the people of God to evaluate yourself rightly. But I want you to slip out and I want you to gather around some of these and we're going to pray as the church right now. We're going to pray as the church. No, can I get you to pray that young man I met earlier today? Can I get you to do that? And the people of God right now, you just come in and swing inside and fill in the gaps. And we're going to begin to just start March by praying and seeking God and getting back on track. Yeah, just come on in and just tuck yourself in. We're going to get just messy here for a minute. I know normally we have people that will connect and... We'll have leaders that'll come. I understand, and we we have order in the house. But I just feel like God's saying, "Come on, just let it get messy for a minute. Let's begin to cry out to God, and let's begin to pray. Come on, if you're laying hands on somebody right now, you got to cry out and pray right now in Jesus' name. Come on, don't pray under your breath and whisper. Come on, cry out for somebody. Get the burden to pray. Call out to God on their behalf right now." Call out to God on their behalf right now. Come on, they're the first fruit. They're the first fruit. They're the first fruit. Oh God, we cry out this morning as we intercede, Lord, for these that have come. And Lord, they've, they've acknowledged that there are, there are areas, Lord, that have, have separated that present presence from them and they're honest in the courts of their God and they're courageous in the courts of their God Lord begin to just move on their hearts and melt their hearts and 
Let a spirit of repentance sweep over the house this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus. Come on, I declare the, the, the tears of joy and the tears of intercession and the tears of a burden to begin to manifest and flow again. Lord, let us care about something again. Let us care again. Let us care again. Hallelujah. Come on, come on, we need a chorus. This is like an upper room as we cry out to God this morning. Oh God, we seek You in earnest. We seek You in genuineness. We seek You this morning. Come on, those of you that have come to even pray, you need to cry out to God too. Don't just come and just say, well, yeah, I need to do that. Make a decision. Say, oh Lord, oh Lord. Lord, I have wandered and I've sinned. And, and, and I'm turning back to you. Say, He loves that stuff. He's like the prodigal's dad who will see you and he will run to you with a robe and he will run to you with a ring. And he'll say, welcome home. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. Hallelujah. 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 See, God's doing great things right now. You see, some have even come in, I know, right now and said, "That's I want to jump in that. I want to jump in that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jerry, cue to the beginning. Cue to the beginning of that CD right now. And, and, and let's begin right now in these last moments. One more time. Let's lift our voices. Hallelujah. Somebody knows it. I have a destiny. No, man. It's number four. Sorry about that. Number four. Come on. Keep praying. Don't let... That's good. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Come on, let's lift our voices one last time. Past the gates of bread into your sanctuary. I look upon your countenance I see the fullness of your grace I can only bow and sing Sing it to Him now
let's worship. Let's worship. Past the gates of praise Into your sanctuary To we standing face to face I look upon your countenance I see the fullness of your grace As I can only bow down And say understand right now we're just now starting to become the house this is the house amen you're becoming the house isn't that cool and God's going to do incredible things it says it says then the lame came then the blind came and he healed them all (laughs) when we become the house then They'll all be healed. Father, I ask this morning now as, as we must release this moment in your presence. Lord, you've been incredibly good to us this whole weekend. Starting from Thursday night, Lord, on through this Sunday morning. Lord, I pray now that a deposit would be left in this place. 
Lord, let a deposit of your presence be left here. Lord, I I know it'll be another week before we can get together quite like this again. Lord, help us not to lose this. Not to lose this precious spirit that we we know is here at this, this moment. Lord, cause us, help us, form us into the house. Lord, our heart's there. That's what we desire. And I know, Lord, you're going to share more about it. So we love you a lot. Lord, bless your people. Minister to your people. Do big things in their life. Lord, distinguish yourself this week. Let them know that they're on the right track. That, Lord, when they begin to to make these sacrifices of praise and they begin to enter into extended periods of prayer, Lord, let them know they're on the right track. And, Lord, I believe you're going to show yourself somehow, some way to each and every one of them. And we just anticipate that through this week in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We can give the Lord now a big hand clap, can't we? Praise God. Amen. God loves you. I love you. Trace loves you. We all love each other. So hug a few names.